the result of the fall. Though admittedly, when you listen to some music that's called music, you have to say, yes, maybe the devils has had a bit to do with some of it. Some of you might wonder what we do all the rest of our time driving backwards and forwards from Thornlands to Tambourine Mountain. But we do run some conventions, and one of those conventions is called Seniors Plus. Now, Seniors Plus is for people like Tom, and it's for, for those who enjoy um, listening to the Word of God. And I'm just mentioning this because... The Seniors Plus convention that we had last May up on the mountain was so well appreciated that we've talked to the same speaker and he's been able to come again, but not to the mountain. We're actually holding this convention up on the Sunshine Coast because there were a number of people who were sick at the time and couldn't come to the mountain. And so it's going to be held at the chapel up there, the Brethren Chapel's called... uh, It's called Faith Community Church now, I believe. And we're expecting to have a two-day conference for those who are primarily 75 years and older. But we've changed the rules because some of those people in their 70s drive rather wildly. So we've suggested that other retirees might be able to safely take them rather than have them drive their own. Joan, I don't know if you drove this morning by yourself. I don't think... No, no, Okay, That's good. I always worry about us old people who drive. But anyway, if any of you have rallies or friends on the Sunshine Coast, please take one of these later and let them know that it's on. It's in a month's time, starting on Tuesday. And the speaker, again, is Dr... Uh, Murray Lean, who is both a medical doctor and a pastor, and uh, he gave four messages on the holiness of God. The final message was the most impacting message I have ever heard on heaven. And I would encourage those of you who do have friends and rallies on the Sunshine Coast, let them know you don't hear this sort of teaching much these days. All right, this morning we're delighted to be with you and um, I've written out my notes. The older you get, by the way, you need to write them out. And uh, sometimes it's necessary because of the clock too. Some of us forget that we're going by a clock, not a calendar. (laughs) Luke chapter 15, if you would turn in your Bibles please, Luke chapter 15. And in this chapter, the Lord is primarily answering the question that was put to him by the, uh, by the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. How come you have the audacity to sit down with, with pub, almost said Republicans, it wasn't, they were publicans and sinners. Some of the Republicans might be the same, but how come you as a teacher are prepared to sit down with sinners and eat and drink with them? Now, at this point, the Lord was. <clears throat> partway through his earthly ministry. 
And he did what he did so often. He didn't tell stories just because he thought they would hold their attention or bring them back to the point. The story was the point. And if you want to get an idea of the teaching of Jesus, look at the parables. Now you might say, oh, but that's, they're not very heavy, brother. You've got to get over to, the gospel, over to the epistles if you want to really get into the word. Yes, and I'm not trying to draw any way away from that. But the Lord Jesus knew that the teaching that he was giving to those men who were locked into the law was going to reach them best with these three stories. And it's not just one story, it's three stories, but they are answering the one question, and that's exactly what he does. Well, you can read along with me if you like. There was a man who had two sons in verse 11. Can any of you recall there was another man who had two sons in the Bible? Any of you recall who that was? The younger one wanted his share again, remember? Only uh, he was sort of dealing with unscrupulous methods to get it. Unfortunately, his mother got in on the act as well. There's no mention of the mother here, by the way. Man had two sons. Don't forget about those two other sons that I mentioned there because from time to time I understand that the Lord Jesus used the very same expressions commonly understood by the people of that day that our English translations don't bring to our attention picking up from the story of Jacob and Esau showing it over now in a different light to the younger and the older son. By the way, don't ever get caught talking about the prodigal son. It's the prodigal sons. You see, the Lord Jesus was addressing the other son in a group. They were both equally prodigal and God was equally gracious to both. But he didn't just quietly make some hints about how sinful the boys were, but he went into great detail about how gracious and merciful and loving the father was. And in actual fact, if we wanted to look at this, ver this chapter more accurately, we should say it's not about the boys. Really, it's not about the boys. But in order for them to understand the size of the grace of God, they needed to understand how this father would respond. Well, the younger one comes and in verse 12 he says, Father, it would be good if you could drop dead. You say, what? 
That was the only way the boys could get the inheritance. At that point in time, this was commonly understood in the land of Israel 200 years before the time of Christ on this earth. These rules and regulations were in place. The boys could not get the inheritance till the father had died. Not only would this family know the rules, the whole village knew the rules. Now, unfortunately, we think of people who have a farm as living out on the farm. No, they all lived in the village. Everybody knew this father and these two sons. They lived together. The streets weren't as wide to take a car. If you had a camel, you could just squeeze through. They were very small towns, small villages, and they all lived together in the village. And they lived by the rules. And here were some of the relatives of them had been criticising the Lord Jesus. They were keeping the rules. The rather unusual story was the father agreed to give this younger fellow his part. That was unheard of. Unheard of. The the other thing that was so annoying to the Pharisees, as the Lord went on with this story, the boy who had been given his part, which incidentally was one-third because two-thirds were kept for the older brother, the boy then had to go to the friends and family members, extended family members, and turn the hard land and stock and farm implements into cash. Who was going to buy them? Nobody. Then how did he get the money? Well, there's always a percentage of people who will figure out that they can justify what they're spending their money on in order to get something. So he was able to get the cash because the Bible says... He got the money, he went into a far into a, a distant land. Do you can you catch something of the disrespect came over that family from the community? Yes, they thought the young fellow was hopeless, but sounds like dad's complying. Well, he went off and it simply says in about verse 14, he spent everything and he was in need and nobody gave him anything and then the Lord dropped a real clangor on the Pharisees. He had to feed pigs. Well, that was almost too much. But that wasn't, what was, wasn't as bad as what was to come. And then he says in verse 17, says he came to his senses. Now that doesn't mean that he was totally irrational, though some of the people who were listening to the story would have thought so. But it's the same original word there in the Greek 
for came to his senses that Peter, when Peter was rescued by the angel out of prison and Peter was outside the prison gates and he was walking along and the angel left him and the scripture says he came to his senses. In other words, this very original word had a point of God's intervention. Came to his senses and he said, how many of my father's servants have enough food and here I am dying, literally dying. I'll go home. Now again, the chances are he would not have gotten into the village. Because of what he had done, the chances are he would have been stoned before he got into the village. But he was ready for that. It was either death with the pigs or death at the village. I'm going home. He came to write down a speech. Now, I don't know whether he actually wrote it down, but he had memorised it. And he was a pretty well-trained lad, you know. The very same words that Pharaoh gave to Moses about, oh, about plague number nine or might have been eight. Pharaoh says to Moses, <laughs> I have sinned against heaven. And so the prodigal thinks that's a pretty good line. And then he says, I've sinned against you. Then he says, don't, I'm not coming back to be your son. I'll, I'll get a job. Get me trained by some of the artisans in the town, maybe another town because it wouldn't be safe for him to be trying to learn a new trade in that village. And then I'll earn enough to pay back. Does that give you any clues as to why the Lord broke in to his speech? You see, the first two parables, the lost sheep and the lost coin, lay the basis for the lost sons. In the lost story of the lost sheep, the shepherd didn't say, well, you got yourself lost. I'll just patiently wait here while you get back. And he heard a noise outside and he went over and looked over the fence. Oh, you've come, have you? No, he didn't. The sheep was as helpless as the coin. It wasn't the sheep or the coin, it was the shepherd and it was the housewife. The interesting image, however, about the shepherd was that when he found the sheep, he put it on his shoulders and I understand that when sheep are terrified, they literally shake 
and they cannot walk. The shepherd could have said, come on, get going. Wouldn't move. He put the sheep around his shoulders, a picture of the redemptive work that Christ came to do. Well, here's the the young man. He's got his speech ready and he starts for home. In those villages, they had a roof over the, over the rooms and the roofs were strong and you could sit up there. I don't know whether the father was up there on the roof watching, but the Bible makes it clear, the Lord Jesus made it clear that the father was looking for his son. For two reasons. If he was going to make it back alive, the father would have to meet him outside the village because of the disgrace that he'd brought on the family but on the village. And the father spots the son. Now every point almost to this story was rubbing the salt into the Pharisees. It would have been excusable for a mother to run to meet her son, but not for the father. The father of a family walked around in his robes and he was never running. It was part of the position of being the father. This father comes off the roof down to the, to the street and lifts his skirts of his robes high enough to be able to run without falling over. And he gets to the boy who's stumbling so weak he can hardly walk for hunger. And the boy is about to start his speech And the father reaches this boy at this point who's not repentant. I want to make a point of this. If ever you get the the time and you want to do some research on original languages in the Middle East, there's a writer by the name of Dr. Kenneth Bailey. He went to glory about two years ago. He was born in Egypt. He has taught in a number of universities in, in the Middle East and in America and at Oxford. His whole emphasis, as a matter of fact, his life's ministry has been on the Middle Eastern understanding of the Lord Jesus. It's a great book. It's called Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes. If you want to get one, if you're doing any Bible study, probably the most helpful. He says this, when the father got to the boy, he immediately hugged and kissed him. Again, the Pharisees must have just rolled their eyes This was not for real. Could not possibly be. 
this is what motivated them on another occasion when the Lord Jesus was reading in the synagogue the book of Isaiah, closed the book and walked out and they would have pushed him over a cliff. If you don't know the culture, you don't understand why. This was so wrong for this father to kiss the boy. And the boy starts and he says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be your son. But notice he doesn't get to the part of make me one of your hired servants. Do you know why? Because God's grace does not require us to become responsible to pay for our own sin. That's why the father stopped the boy there and says to his servants, and by the way, when you think of just not just the father coming out of the village, there was probably a crowd around them. And he says to the servants, put the robe on him, the best robe, the ring on his fingers, new sandals on his feet. What was he actually saying? He was saying he's been restored. This, uh, as Kenneth Bailey made the comment, actually it was Tim Keller made the comment, the boy when he left the far country wasn't repentant, he was just hungry. Now keep in mind that there may be many people out there, oh, could even be some here. We're hungry, but that doesn't mean we're repentant. What makes the difference? I don't think it's a stretch of the imagination when that boy saw the eyes of his father and saw the the price that father would pay in that village in front of all of those law-abiding, in quotes, people, this father had expressed a broken heart about that relationship with that boy. Well, that part of the story is just great. But the next boy is the problem. And the next boy was the problem to these Pharisees because the more they listened to the Lord Jesus, the more they could see themselves. The interesting thing was that the older brother had the law on his side, but he knew nothing about the grace of God. And interestingly... Even though as Christians we desire to live honourably with the Lord, it is not our living honourably. It's not our doing our duty. It's none of that. It is all based on the grace of a God who would show that he loved even a prodigal son who went to the far country. Now he's talking about a prodigal son who stayed home. 
We don't do much in the way of talking about the staying at home ones. But do you know what? I believe we miss the point if we don't understand that there are good sinners and bad sinners. And some of the good ones need to repent as did the bad one. And if you notice, when you come to the end of the chapter, the story isn't finished. Have you ever noticed that? We will celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again, is lost and found, but we don't hear any more about the older brother. Why? I wonder if it was at that point in the ministry of the Lord Jesus when the two outstanding Pharisees had already made a decision to follow Christ, Nicodemus and, and the other one, you know, at the cross. That's him. I wonder if at that point there were those who knew what the Lord Jesus was saying was right, but they chose to stay with the mob. I wonder. It would be interesting. I don't know where you are in the spectrum. Uh, there are lots of, of uh, runaway, if you like, uh, younger brothers who don't actually run very far and there are some who sit in churches week after week after week and they sound like they're Christians. But they're not resting in the finished work of the Lord Jesus. I would imagine that there'd be some who would say, yes, I've heard this all before. But what do you need to really do? I think we need to see the heart of God. We need to see the love of Christ, not something that's mushy, but something that is precious. He gave his life for people like me and people like you. He gave his life for the Pharisees. And it's interesting that when the Apostle Paul met the Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus, the church didn't buy the fact that Paul said he was a Christian. They had seen what horrible things Paul had done. They couldn't almost believe that Paul could be converted to Jesus Christ. But he was. Barnabas brought him in and said, Brothers, meet Saul. They changed his name, or he changed, God changed his name to Paul. It is as we understand the grace of God that we are able to be overcome by that grace. The scripture doesn't tell us that the, that the younger son or the older son were emotional at all. They just 
shared the events. The younger son could not get over it. Couldn't get over the fact that his father brought him back. The older son couldn't understand the father would do this. But it's interesting that you see God's heart again as the father says to the older prodigal, he says, son, everything I have is yours. But this brother of yours was dead and is now alive again. A miracle understandable by the Jewish people. That was something they had never been confronted with. The message of the kingdom of God was news to them. It took people like the woman at the well in Samaria It took people like those who saw the Lord Jesus heal and raise Jairus' daughter. There were remarkable people who became followers of Jesus because it was so different. The kingdom was different. But there were those who were putting their robes around them and looking down their noses. He eats with sinners and with publicans. You see, the law to them was far greater than the grace of God. There's a well-known hymn, and some of you even quoted it in your prayers this morning, Marvellous grace of our loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt, Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured, there where the blood of the Lamb was spilt. Philip Yancey tells the story of a young lady who took off from home because mum and dad were Christians and a little bit restrictive. And she went and lived in a large city, I think it was Chicago. However, she came to the end of her rope And she realised that the people at home loved her. So she sent them a message. This is in the days before mobile phones. And uh, she said, I'm going to be coming on a certain bus. If you don't want me, that's okay. I'll just stay on the bus. But if you do want me, can you please put some... Uh, signs up and I wrote it down in my notes here either some tapes or or balloons or something should be put at the bus depot well when the bus got to the bus depot there were far more than she expected to see of these balloons or ribbons or whatever so she got off the bus But what she wasn't expecting was almost the whole town was there. The whole church was there anyhow. And she she also tried a speech like the prodigal, younger prodigal son. Didn't get very far. You see, the grace of God is 
the establishing of a relationship between people who love each other. The Pharisees never understood the love of God. My question to you this morning is, do you? Has the love of Christ so grabbed your heart that you are committing your life to him, not out of legal responsibility, but because you want to say, thank you. Thank you. I am prepared to live for you, not to earn my salvation, but just to say, thank you. What's it going to change? Anything? Is it going to change the way you talk about the Lord to others? Is it going to change the way you might think about other people? If we are held by the love of Christ, we can trust him to look after us. We can trust him to be his hands and his feet in a world that doesn't know him. It is the love of Christ that constrained Paul and constrains every one of us and the younger prodigal, I would imagine when he was an old man, he still hadn't forgotten the day he saw his dad running down that lane from the village. What are you going to remember when you're an old man or an old lady? Will you remember coming to Christ at the knee of your mum or your dad? Will you remember coming to Christ at a Sunday school here? Will it have changed your life? Will other people recognise the Lord Jesus in you? Or will you be like the older brother? The sad news was for the Jewish nation, they cried out, crucify him, crucify him. And 70 years later, that nation was decimated. Judgment does come. God is in charge of that too. But the judgment that we fear the most is what was taken by the Lord Jesus. He died in my place so I could be forgiven. Let's sing this closing hymn. Grace will come to the piano. And it's the one I just quoted, the, the number of the hymn, I'm not sure, but it's um, Marvellous Grace of Our Loving Lord. 279. Right.
Our gracious Father, we thank you again for your word. We thank you for the work of your spirit. And we pray this morning that you will cause anyone here who is not trusting in your sacrificial offer of salvation, may they do so this very day. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Tom.